Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. You know, we've been uh, picking up. I know there's been a lot of reading material and lots of opportunities. Thanks for hanging in there. Week 7. And I've been having you read all the different um, books. We, we picked up and read the book of Ephesians in week one, the book of Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Timothy, and tonight the book of Titus. When you start to really spend quality time going through, and I, what I've been doing is I go line by line through each one. And I look at the King James Version. I look at, look at the New Living Translation, the word for word for translation, and the thought for thought. And as you pull out the, the essence, and then you start to see this pattern of what Paul was telling all the fledgling churches, all of his key leaders, that your identity, over and over again, the repetitive side of who Christ is and who you are in Christ, once that is settled in your heart and you realize there is no demon in hell you can't face. <laughs> and I'm telling you, we have learned some things by the revelation of that and seeing that both here and abroad. So I want to summarize, I want to call up, uh, I may look back and forth here in some King James and New Living, this parallel Bible that I have, uh, but I want us to go to the book of Titus and let's look at chapter 1, verse 1. It's only three chapters, but it's powerful again. I'm just uh, excited about. First of all, he calls Titus in chapter 1 and verse 1. We know that if you do the, the who what, why, when, how, and start looking at it. The who is Paul, and he's speaking to God's elect. But first he addresses Titus. In verse 1 he says, this letter is from Paul. Interesting, he identifies himself as a slave. Some translations say a servant and an apostle. We know he was called by God, uh, Jesus, directly. I've been sent. What was the purpose? What, what was the what? Sent to proclaim faith to those who are God's chosen. King James says, the elect. Those who have been elected and chosen, why? To teach them to know the truth and show them how to live a godly life. You'll see thematically to both of the sons in the Spirit, both Titus and Timothy, that they were told to live godly lives and to instruct people how to live this godly life. Why? Because righteousness is a weapon both for offense and defense. We're going to see, I'll probably preach this Sunday, but we're at this place where when unrighteous immorality, ungodliness starts to rule in a heart of a family, an individual, or a nation, God lifts His hand. And that judgment, He has to, He would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we see that this promise, in, we, we, we see Him going over and over again, the promise and the imploring to each one to live godly lives. Well, Let's look at what's the responsibility. Look at verse 5. He tells Titus the responsibility. The reason, he, first he introduces, tells him how to live, and then he gives him his assignment. He says, I left you on the Isle of Crete so that you could complete our work. And what's the work? Go and appoint elders in each town as I have instructed you. That word, if you look it up in the Greek, there's, it's both elders Many translations call them bishops. In our terminology today, we would call them pastors. He says, I want you to go select the bishops, the leaders, the senior pastors who are going to lead my church. 
and then you're going to give, I'm going to give you instruction as to what you should look like in the vetting process. The people that you're to select, they have to meet a certain criteria, a vetting of this, and he goes on and he lays out what you should look for. And so he tells Titus in verse 5, this is your responsibility. Then he goes on and he lists from verse 5 to 9, he lists at least 10 criteria. I'll just summarize those. One, he says, this elder, this bishop, this pastor should be faithful to his wife. Hello. In the vetting process, uh, some of the translation says, a, a husband of one wife. Polygamy is out, okay? The Old Testament stuff of the past, that's no longer here. You need to be faithful to your wife. What does that look like? That looks like your eyes are only for her. There isn't pornography in the mix. There isn't other flirtatious things. You are focused on the honor and the fidelity of your relationship. Look for elders. Look for men that can, or women in the, in the, in the case now. Look for those who are faithful to their spouse. Their children, well, number two, their children, they should be believers and they shouldn't be rebellious. Manage the household. Do they manage their household well? They live a blameless life, tempered, not heavy drinkers, not violent, not dishonest. You could look at their tax returns and spend some time with them and audit it, and guess what? You'd find it was true. <laughs> They're not arrogant or quick-tempered. They live a blameless life. They're not given to, King James says, given to wine or drink much wine. They're not into filthy lucre. Filthy lucre in our terminology is they don't try to gain money dishonestly. That's filthy lucre. They have a strong belief system. They're trustworthy in their message. They love to be hospitable. Can you imagine someone that is able to be hospitable to people? Wise, just, sober, holy, trustworthy, devout. Man, amazing uh, statements of they are temperate, they give, live a disciplined life, and they can teach sound doctrine. Talk about a vetting process. Amen? Lord, may we live up to that. We're, in fact, we're all now, we know from First Peter, that we are all priests and a holy nation, a godly people. So in the priesthood of the believer, which is where we have entered in, these are the vetting processes of every one of us. Now, there may be those that are given certain responsibilities. We read last week and the week before about deacons. In Timothy, we talks about what is a deacon. That's just below the bishop. They're, those are the volunteers in the church, and their life and their lifestyle should be exactly the same. In fact, it is the vetting process by which the deacons are, are in the process here, and they can be selected to become the elders at a later date. So we see the criteria of the elders then it goes on in verse 10, and he, he warns Tim, Titus about, there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk, and they are deceptive. They deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. This is the Jesus plus stuff crowd. Jesus, what they're saying, this Jesus wasn't enough. You got to be circumcised. You got to do these things in the law. And Paul says, deceivers. This is especially true of those who are trying to make this Jesus plus anything. It's not. It's Jesus and him alone. He says they must, verse 11 says, they must be silenced because they're turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. 
And why do they do it? They do it for money. Pretty serious. He says, he goes on and he's, he's not very kind. He says, even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, stated this as a quote from Paul. These people, they're liars, cruel animals, lazy and gluttons. This is true. So reprimand them sternly, Titus. Reprimand them sternly and, and make them strong in the faith. Stop listening to the Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. It's pretty strong language. But remember, he's telling his, his apostolic leadership who's planting churches and selecting leaders that are going to impact whole cities and, and regions for years and years to come. You've got to get the right people in the right places with the right character. And then you've got to train them. You've got to equip them. You've got to rebuke them. You've got to teach them and expose all the heresies. Can you see that in, in the walking out of this individual uh, character that he's trying to tell his spiritual sons, this is what you have to do. In chapter 2, it says, he now shifts, he says, we need in verse 1, we need to promote this sound doctrine, a kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Then he speaks about older men, younger men, older women, younger women, kind of the roles. And, and we see that beautifully in our congregation where the older women who have been through a lot of stuff, who've, they've walked through lives, they've raised families, helping the younger women to understand and to keep going, keep the faith. And the older men who have been through a lot, who've got some bumps and bruises in this walk of Christ, helping young men to see, to encourage them. So he says, look, similarly teach them. Let, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. Don't let them be slanderers or heavy drinkers. They should be able to teach others what is good. The older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. That's good news. That's good, good advice. To live wisely and pure, work in their homes, do good, be submissive to their husbands. Now that gets some people's nose out of joint, but there's nothing wrong with submissiveness, especially when what we do when we walk through this together, we walk together, husband and wife together. There's no one's in charge and one's not. This is that submissiveness to each other, honoring one another. We see that in Peter. He says, if you men fail to honor your wives, God won't hear your prayers. So Live wisely and be pure. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely in verse 6. And then he says, and you yourself. Now, Titus, here's what I need from you. Be an example. Do good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. Wow, teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Those who oppose you, they'll be ashamed and they'll have nothing bad to say about us. That's the Scriptures. If you hold fast to the Scriptures and you teach it, people may not like what they're hearing, but if you hold fast to the Scriptures, they're going to be critical? Well, what are they critical of? Doing our best to rightly divide the truth. So we see this in instructing him in verse 8, 11, 12. Then he says, there's some warnings here. Verse 11, the grace of God has revealed bringing salvation to all people instructing them to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in an evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. It's good stuff, solid truth. Then he says in verse 
13. While we look forward with this hope to the wonderful day that the glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed, because we have this hope in us, it in inspires us, it encourages us. He gave his life. Here we go again, this principle of the foundation. He gave his life to free us from what? Every kind of sin. Every kind. Cleanse us. Make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Then he goes on and gives them instruction again. Teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. So basically, Paul, as the apostle, the senior leader in these church plants, anointed T Titus to be the overseer, to, s to select leadership, and you can see the control and hierarchy. He says, basically, Titus, I've got your back on this. So we see that this teaching of others, and then he picks up in chapter 3. This one is awesome. I think we would do well today if many in the United States would adhere to this and in the church. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. Oh, They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. Now, you know me, I'll, I'll tell you, as long as the government is telling us to, to do something that is for the good and it doesn't, it's not contrary to Scripture, we should follow that. So, they shouldn't slander. They should follow the government and the officers. The rules don't slander anyone. Avoid quarreling. Instead, show gentle humility to everyone. I thought this was very intriguing. In verse 3, Paul gets transparent. And we see here, we know often he calls himself the least of all the apostles. And we know that in his prior, he thought he was doing good and murdering Christians and locking them up. And, but here he goes even deeper. He says, once we, too, were foolish and disobedient, we were misled. We became slaves of many lusts and pleasures, and our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. So we know that Paul was a murderer, so we know what First John says, that you, anyone who hates is a murderer in his heart. So here Paul gets really transparent. He says, look, we need to be transformed, <laughs> transferred. Remember we read in, that we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His dear Son. Paul's saying, look, we've all been in that place in the past, but it's no longer acceptable, and He has set us free. So when God our Savior is revealed to us in His kindness and His love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things, this is works, remember it's not by works, but by His mercy, He's washed away our sins, and He's given us new birth in a new life through the Holy Spirit. What powerful foundational truth that we see. Then he goes on, he says, in verse 8, he says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. Well, if you went through and counted a number of times, he says, live the right way, do the right things, live a righteous life, live godly, let everyone see it. You'll have benefit to this. So don't get involved. Then he, he was particularly difficult on those who were causing division. In verse 9, don't get involved in these foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees and quarrels and fights about Jewish laws and obedience. These things are useless and they're a waste of time. So he goes on, he says, now here's a warning to these elders. 
if people are causing division among you, they're slandering, living the ungodly lifestyle, give them a first warning. They're teaching apostles. Give them a first warning. Give them a second warning and then have nothing to do with them. That song's like church discipline. And he's saying, look, there's going to be times when there's people that are just out of order and they will not submit and therefore put them outside the church. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. I'm planning, then he goes on and he shares about who's coming and the joining together before winter. So I want you to see thematically how Paul, through all of his books and writings, if you take away anything, it is the foundation of Christ the cornerstone, him and him alone, the blood of Jesus, the righteous behavior, the righteous living. These are the assurances, and it's so important and powerful for we as those who are going to be deliverance ministers, ministry team members, that if you try to do this ministry and you've got open doors, watch out. Be careful. You can get yourself in a big, big mess. And there are stories in the book, my book, Breaking Free, of people who went with us on mission fields, didn't share everything, had the doors that were open, and how, praise God, there was grace, but there was a lot of pain in the midst of that. So we've learned some things about the righteousness of God. So I want to depart from that and ask you to please now, next week, we'll be reading out of the book of James. So next week, we'll read the book of James, and then we'll finish up with 1 John in the final setting. So the book of James is our reading next week. You'll find him to be uh, even more black and white, right? And uh, I, I enjoy that book as well. All right, I want to shift at this point. You know that we're in war. We've shared that. We're, this is the story of both love and war. We're now getting into the place where God trains my hands for war. That's what he said. God has trained our hands for war. And we know that uh, biblically, we've shared this. I'll reiterate again. Jesus said in 1 John 3, 8, John actually revealed this of Jesus. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. John 14, 12, he says, I go away to the Father. Greater works now shall you do because I go to the Father. So he says, basically, we are to be the hands and feet that now carry on that ministry. We shared out of the first uh, Mark 16 out of the Great Commission that go into, those who go into all the world to make disciples of all men, leading them, baptizing them, then it says these are the signs that follow them. And the first one there in Mark 16 is cast out demons in my name. I've had people come to me and say, well, Pastor, um, and this was my experience, again, if you read the first part of my book, I, it was like, I thought that whole demon thing when I was working for General Electric and in the nuclear industry, very um, structured in my thinking. If you didn't see it, smell it, taste it, measure it, uh, it didn't happen. And this whole thing about demons and all that spiritual stuff, that was good for Hollywood, sell, bo you know, sell books and movies. But uh, it wasn't until I started to realize for myself and I started reading the book. And I encourage you, take the Gospel of Mark. And I, I did this once. Go through, we've shared this about sozo, healing, saving, salvation, deliverance. Um, when you go through the Gospel of Mark, every time he's, Jesus, red letter, speaks of the kingdom or salvation or the word, just put down salvation, a little S in the margin. Then go and every time he healed, put a little H next to it. 
And then every time he did a deliverance, cast out demons, put a little D, and then go and add them all up at the end of the book, 16 chapters, and guess what? You'll find one-third, 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 very close, depending on your translation. What is that? Jesus paid it all. Salvation, healing, and deliverance is full of the full gospel of Jesus Christ. 110 times, we covered this in early on, 110 times the word sozo, that Greek action verb, sozo, S-O-Z-O, Look it up in your concordance if you like or go online. 110 times, depending again on your translation, 110 times that is used for both salvation, healing, and deliverance interchangeably. And we put in tons of scripture behind that in the book here when we looked at the healing models and the salvation model and now we're digging into the deliverance model. So I want to ask you to please turn now to module 12 in your book, Ministry Team Training Manual, Breaking Free. We're on page 12.1. We are now into the deliverance side. We've looked at the salvation model, the protocols. We've looked at what hinders healing, what brings on curses, what is a curse. Then we looked at the, the uh, salvation model. We looked at words of knowledge. These are all in the, you want to go online and look them up and get back into the modules. The reason we have been careful to, to cover all these and get them on live stream and put them in our bank here is so that you can go back and look at it. So tonight, I want to go down deep. I want to start. We're about ready to unveil what is called the destiny model for deliverance. But here's the background first. <clears throat> Are you there? Page 12.1. First of all, what is deliverance? Let's get real basic. Deliverance is setting a person free from the oppression of a demonic spirit. Right there at the top of the page, A. Setting a person free from the oppression of a demonic spirit. Demons are evil spirits. They're without bodies. They're under Satan's authority. They seek to harass and, if possible, cause people their restlessness. We see that. They can move into a human being. We see it in Matthew 12, verse 43 through 45 there. When they're given an opportunity, they'll torment, manipulate a host person, keeping them bound up. Verse in C there, it says the term oppression is used in the manual rather than possession. And let me give you a reason why. Possession implies ownership and complete control. Now, there are those who are unbelievers who are possessed. We, I have met them, and we have done deliverance after they've gotten saved. But this implication of ownership, when we belong to Christ, we are owned by Christ. However, we are tripart beings. We covered this a while back. There's the body, soul, and spirit. When your spirit man is regenerated and you become a new creature in Christ, a new prototype, literally in that word, your spirit is born again. Your name is written in the book. However, your soul, the mind, the will, and the emotion may still be under brokenness. And that is where the devil gets into being able to bring manipulation and control. Look at the bottom of that page, the effects of a demonic oppression. Nightmares, unreasonable fears, accusations, feeling worthless, feeling guilted, shamed, filled with pain or illness or depression, suicidal, irrational behaviors. They may be caught up in all forms of immorality, adultery, pornography, anger, addictions. These are just examples of when the door is opened and a person willingly submits into those behaviors and lifestyles, there's an opportunity for the devil to come in. We call it the trash that's come in the house now can be infested by the rats that are in the house. 
So we want to see, we know from Acts chapter 5, 3 there, you see the bottom of page 12, 1. Paul, Peter says to Ananias, a believer, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Remember what happened there. How about in, in uh, the case with Judas? Judas, we know, was a thief. Jesus said he often took from the, from the, the, uh, the purse. He was so bound up in his desire for money and power but his lying, deceiving, and robbery opened the door for Satan later to fill his heart and then to ultimately betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Turn to page 12 too. A demon can push a person to repeatedly be into sins and habits. A major cause of getting discouraged, backsliding, discouragement. It also tears apart the testimony. But there are there indeed, you can see demon spirits, we've dealt with this before where spirits of infirmity, a deaf and dumb spirit, epileptics, I have seen that in Brazil, where we've cast out a spirit of epilepsy. So you can see that heaviness that talks about the spirit of heaviness there in Isaiah and E, Isaiah 63.3. The demons work steadily in a person. They may take cover. This is an interesting thought. Um, oftentimes a demon spirit will take cover until a later date when it can cause maximum damage. Think of it this way. Let's say an elder in a church is involved with pornography and lust. That spirit can take cover until that person rises to a sufficient level and then it damages the church severely. We've done ministry on pastors who've been involved in infidelity and brokenness. That spirit of lust and adultery has captured and then it says, Jesus said when the was a Paul that said when the, when the pastor is scattered or the, the shepherd is scattered, so are the sheep. It's a terrible time for the church. So we see that um, there is this place where, look at, uh, gee, the remedy for demonic oppression is deliverance. Deliverance has always been assigned to the unbelievers of the power of God over Satan. In contrast to healing, this is interesting, in contrast to healing, I don't know about you, but I've, not everyone I've prayed for has been healed. But I will tell you this, everyone that has come openly and willingly to receive freedom has found freedom. Now, there's times they open doors and they get back in, but it's deliverance ministry there is almost always, I won't say always, but almost always effective when the person receiving ministry is a born-again believer, their will is engaged. I say it this way, a person with their free will engaged who's a born-again believer and wants to be free is biblically set free because it says, remember, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Seek, knock, search. That doesn't mean you won't have a fight, and there may be times when you're drawn back, but there is this overwhelming victory is ours. Now, when I, the places I've been in, the, in overseas is there's a, it's a lot easier to talk about spiritual things to them. In Africa, South America, because there's so much demonic presence, witch doctors, witchcraft, San La Muerte, Macumba, voodoo. But in the United States, however, it's now becoming so prevalent. We've shared some of that in the past. But many of the churches ignore it theologically. They don't even want to talk about it, don't want to touch it. So we, on page 12.3, the church has largely ignored the demonic oppression among its members, partly due to theology. They believe that a true believer cannot be possessed, me either, or oppressed. But that's not true. We've seen that. 
So we thank you that God is revealing more and more truth and is more and more coming into that place and seeking more. A lot more books I, you've seen here in the last, I've, seen, I've had probably 25, 30 books of all the deliverance ministers and things, the forerunners that have been going forward. Let me uh, turn to the bo- bottom of page 12.3 there. Deliverance was a central theme of the ministry of Jesus. And we, and we just lifted some scriptures there. Look at those. Mark 1, 32, 33. Mark 1, 39. Turn the page to 12, 4. Matthew 10. He sends out the 12 and then he sends out the 70, right? And they come back in, in Luke's gospel there. In the middle of that page in Luke's, we've covered that a lot. I even shared it this, this evening when I prayed. That when they came back, the first things the disciples had to say, the 70 who went out, the first things they said was, even the demons are subject to us when they listen to your name. So we thank the Lord that we have been given power and authority. Then he said in Mark 16, there's that great commission. Go in the, to all the world. These will be the signs that follow. They'll cast out demons in my name. So this, uh, just some occasions. We've seen them in all these. I just jotted down a few. We've obviously in crusade settings, we've seen many, many come, and there's been manifestations. If you read the book, Breaking Free, you'll see examples of that in crusade settings, in church settings. Worship settings. We've had people in the midst of worship. When the Holy Spirit falls in a worship, there's a, an opportunity that stirs up all sorts of manifestations. Can be a private setting when you're praying for someone, praying for the sick. I'll share one. Uh, let me give an example now. In, in your book, um, I didn't go into detail in the past on this one, but in your book, this was an example in England. It's on my, in my book on page 125. It's called... Um, Janilda's testimony. No, I'm sorry. Let me. That's not the one. I'm, I'm looking for Trisha's testimony. That's on page 105. This one was in Manchester, England. In page 105, let me just kind of quickly. Um, we were there where there was a crusade setting in a Methodist church. Lots of uh, witchcraft in the area. The covens had targeted particular areas. I think I shared briefly. She was this uh, lady, Trish. I've changed her name. But Trish was selected. She worked for a church. She was on staff. And she was in the administrative side. And she was asked to read the Christmas story one Christmas Eve. Several churches came together. She's in the middle. She's reading the Christmas story. And she starts to feel violently sick, nauseous. She gets home. I think I shared maybe last week. She got home and went to bed still feeling sick and tormented that night. Woke up in the morning and she went outside. As she stepped off the front porch of her step, there was this uh, tape, a, uh, a track tape around that had been strung all the way around. It completely surrounded her house. I said, well, what was that? The way it surfaced, first of all, she came up. She had just had a double mastectomy. Her hair had just gotten back after chemotherapy. She was in a, um, she was in a really uh, saddened state. She comes to the prayer line re- to want to receive prayer. And while we're praying for her, she curls up her hands like this. <laughs> as a sign, it's okay, there's something here. There's some kind of um, entity present here that as soon as we start to pray, that's a manifestation. So we backed down. We, we, we talked to her. I said, um, do you feel that torment? We, we start interviewing her. And she goes, my whole life has been an absolute mess in the last several years. I said, well, good. Can you, not good, but can you come tomorrow? Um, I'd like you to go home, take this journal. 
I'd like you to write down areas of confession and forgiveness and come tomorrow, but you're going to have to plan to spend at least maybe four hours. So before the conference starts, I'll bring a team in. You meet us. We'll get a private place. So she comes in um, the next day, and she, and I'll quickly just tell you that she's going through her forgiveness list, and then she's going through her confession list. In essence, here's where the doors were opened. We know that... Um, her husband won a f- coffee mess pool at work, and they went out, and the guys at work brought him a, bought him a prostitute. And so she gets angry at her husband. There's all sorts of struggles in the marriage. This happens after this cassette tape has been, she's been cursed by the Wiccans and the witchcraft people of that area, declaring her that her whole family would be destroyed, her ministry would be destroyed. She gets fired from the church. She ends up with cancer. Several of her children are arrested. Her husband has this illicit affair. And she is then in this place of double mastectomy. So she's, her life is just completely falling apart. So we start going down the list of confession to forgive her husband. One of the things that was really interesting is after we had prayed for her the night before her ministry, she had had these warts on her hand. And she had a piece of, she had a gold piece of jewelry on the same hand where all of the warts had burned off all the stuff. She says the warts never seemed to disappear. But she said there was a word of knowledge. Actually, I think it was Jamie Galloway, one of Randy's interns at that time, had a word of knowledge that somebody's wearing a piece of cursed jewelry and you need to get rid of that jewelry right now. Well, she knew her mother, when they went on a vacation, because the mother was so, mother-in-law was so, her mother, her, the husband's mother-in-law, was so angry at the husband for the illicit affair, the mother says, why don't you just forget your husband, cheat on him? So they go on a vacation, the mom and the daughter together, the wife, and she has this affair with a man in this country. And that man buys her this gold jewelry which is representative of the adulterous affair that she has in revenge and bitterness back to her husband that her mother bought for her. Talk about a twisted thing, right? So when that word of knowledge goes out, she runs in. She doesn't care if it's gold or whatever. She throws it in the trash can of the ladies' room in the church. In the morning, she wakes up, and the warts are gone. Because uh, Jamie, I believe, had prayed for that whatever that was, you know who you are. And so that opened the door. When we're doing prayer ministry, she's like, well, I, I got healed last night. Th- these things I've been trying to get rid of. Well, then she starts to confess all of these things and forgiving her husband, forgiving her, her, her mother, the cursing and all. And in the midst of that, words of knowledge come out. You can read this in this section of the, of the Scriptures uh, in my book, actually. And I, I do some scriptural references there. But in uh, page 105 of the book, you can look at the details. But there were two times when this is the first time my, my mom's 93 years old. Hi, Mom. <laughs> my mind, this is the first time my 93-year-old mother, at that time, I forget what her age was, uh, obviously less than that, um, the first time we ever heard a demon speak. And this, we were having a, we were having a kind of a, a block occur, and I had two people with me that were brand new in the ministry team. This was their, one of their first deliverances, actually. And one of the ladies, when we got stuck, I said, Lord, I know that there's an authorization here, there's an open door that we, she has not confessed, she has not renounced, and she has not forgiven anyone for. And so, Lord, I need you to help us right now. So we just prayed. And then the demon actually manifested and said, she likes me, I'm not going anywhere. 
I said, all right, well, there's, there's, you, you're not telling us something. What is it? So I, t I turned to her, Trisha, at that said, I said, tell us what you're not telling us. And she was silent. Suddenly, one of my team members on the ministry team doubles over and is in pain in her, in her belly and says, ask her about the abortion she had, at which point she confesses she never had told anyone about that abortion. And there was another word of knowledge later that one of the men in the group got, and she confessed that. And when that happened, the demon said, I'm leaving. I'm not authorized to stay anymore, and left. <laughs> it wasn't a whole lot of drama. But it was, it was one of those things where I want us to see, you may be ministering there on page 12.5 to the sick, and then you'll realize all of a sudden there's a spirit that is behind that infirmity. And it may manifest in a way. So be, be prepared when you're doing that. How do we distinguish between, this is the bottom of page 12.5, how do we distinguish between Holy Spirit manifestations and demonic? Well, some are pretty obvious, right? Um, at the bottom of the page, if a person's harming themselves, biting, scratching, pulling their hair, wanting to hurt themselves, um, in the middle of, we'll, we'll never do this again, but in one of our deliverances in Santarém, Brazil, the church was so packed and manifestations happened all over the place the pastoral team of Brazil said, well, you can go up on this upper room and do the deliverances there. Turns out it was on a roof, and they had a little um, banister about this high. And one of the guys who manifested went to throw himself off the roof to kill himself. Fortunately, one of our ex-football players <laughs> was there and, and tackled him, body slammed him, put him down. We decided we would never do deliverances again on a roof. Not a real great, smart idea. So I want you to see that manifestations, some of them are obvious, but some are not. On page 12.6, you can tell by sometimes physical appearance. We've already talked about nausea, but maybe headaches, violent actions, kicking, breaking, hissing. I had one, I was in a, uh, I was in a Baptist church in Sao Paulo, and this woman came up to me. This was early on. Uh, this woman came up to me, and she, we had, we were getting ready to do some deliverance. Worship was on, and she started hissing at me like a snake. Came right up in my face. <sniffs> Eyeballs rolled back. I was like, oh, my Lord. Rather tall. <laughs> and uh, I just remember a few words. I said, in nome de Jesus, pass. In the name of Jesus, peace. And I touched her, and she collapsed in the pew. I used that later with, okay, the, the, they were trying to intimidate she, at one point, she tried to punch me. It was almost like there was a, a plexiglass screen. She could not. She wanted to. She's like, and I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I was, we we're in that uh, honeymoon phase of learning. But she was, she was probably 6'2". You know, I'm not that. And she wanted to punch me in the face, and she couldn't. And she's hissing at me. Eyeballs roll back. And I'm like, oh, my Lord, in the name of Jesus, peace. And she collapsed in the pew. I said, note to self, we have authority over that spirit. So I just want you to see, sometimes it's uh, crazy-looking things, foul language, uh, awful smell. Um, temperature can drop. I've shared this before. We were in uh, uh, Belém, Brazil. We did three times. We did major deliverances there, and there was a warlock that came in. And when I stood next to him, literally, I'm not kidding, it felt like the temperature dropped 10 degrees when I got near him. It was like cold as ice, black eyes, stone cold, smell of death. It was awful. I'm like, okay. So again, pay attention to these signs. It says in Hebrews 5.14, 
the mature believers have trained themselves to discern good and evil. Pay attention. Pay attention to your soulish realm. The, in, the, in the natural realm, there'll be indicators. Some people smell fragrances. Often it can be positive as well. When the Holy Spirit starts, people come and say, do you smell that perfume, those flowers? So pay attention. This is training ground. All right. Um, you can also ask in the bottom, ask a person how they feel. When you start to pray for someone and they let, let, and it can be the type of prayer. Remember we said you're selecting a prayer. If you start praying for someone um, who's tormented and they say, I'm starting to feel agitated, I'm, I'm hurting. It's like, okay, there's something rising. Be careful there. Pray with your eyes open. But you start to pray for peace and the Holy Spirit and you start to see tears or shaking. Ask them, how are you feeling? I'm feeling so peaceful right now. That's a good sign. <laughs> Prince of Peace is operating, right? So again, this is, if you hear a change of voice tone, uh, several examples in here. Um, they'll speak in, the, in English when, they don't, when the person themselves doesn't know English. But the devil does. <laughs> the demons do, right? Speaking in a male voice, harsh, intimidating. Many examples of that here. Always threatening. Liars, deceivers. Remember, he's the father of lies. I'm going to kill you. When I come out, I'm going to get... No, you're not. But it's intended to intimidate, to cause fear and trepidation. That's why we've spent so much time in each of the key books here hammering your, your foundational principles of truth and identity and your authority in Christ. Okay, on page 12.7. What's your own personal preparation? If you haven't gotten anything out of these books, you ought to have gotten that. You need to be ready to do this ministry. And it's all about love. This is not about the power trip over demons. Although I got to tell you, when they go, there's something powerful about it that's exciting. But we want you to know that this is really about the love of God. And so what are some of the foundational? Now we're getting into foundational parts of the actual model for, for deliverance, things you want to think about before you do ministry. First of all, orders are, order is important. Demons, that's B. See that on 12.7B? Demons respect authority. If there's, when we do this, we, se we select one leader. You may have two people present. We always have a female present if you're ministering to a female uh, or two females present doing the ministry we could have a third but there's always the same gender person present and there was a leader and then we have our support people one might be an intercessor if you have three going another might be a support person a helper and we have lots of examples in here where the coordination between the two first it's biblical remember he told them in Luke chapter 10 he sent them out two by two it's okay to gang up on the devil if one can put a thousand to flight two can put ten thousand to flight that ought to be enough and so we, we love it, and we look at examples. Now, here's some principles. Look at C. The ministering recognize some of the limitations to deliverance ministry. It's useless to try to expel a demon if the person doesn't want to. That's why our protocol, if someone were to collapse and be manifesting in the midst of worship, we don't just jump into deliverance. We want to not embarrass them. We want to call the human personality back get them into a quiet place, and then interview with them. Sometimes they have no clue what happened, or they, it's been with me a long time, lots of examples here. But what are we doing? We would not know. Do you want to be free of that? Do, do, do you want to be free? 
If you do, let me tell you who the one is that can set you free. His name is Jesus. The one who sets free is free indeed. And so there's the activation of the will. Number, let's see that I. Two, is the person unwilling to change their lifestyle? We're going to get into something. In Matthew 12, there's a strong, strong warning. We covered this before. If you go into the house, the person says, yeah, I want to be set free. I, I remember a person who came in. He was a, uh, a struggling alcoholic trying to function, but he was about to lose his job, came in, uh, would get tanked on the weekends and try to go to work. And it got to the point where the addiction had gotten a hold of him. He said, well, I don't want to stop drinking. I just want to be able to function. I said, that's not going to work for us. He's either going to be Lord or he's not Lord at all. So this ministry is, a, is not a, it's not a game. In Matthew 12, it says, when you go into the strong man's house and you tie him up by confession and repentance, right? When you tie up that, in this case, the spirit of addiction, if you reopen that door, it says, the warning there is, it can go back seven times worse on you. It's not a game. So if a person's not willing and not willing to change their lifestyle to make him the Lord, then don't even bother. You're just going to make it a whole, you could really, really bring severe damage. Well, if they're contrary to any agreement, they're not willing to renounce statements. If they've given themselves over to Satan or they've made commitments that they're not willing to break. Some, I used the example last week. If they're into the uh, a secret society and they're unwilling to break those cult relationships, we're not going to do, do the ministry. You're going to end up causing a lot more harm and, and damage. So those are some of the warnings. That there, and you can see that I listed there in D, Matthew 12, 43 through 45. Open doors. Think of it this way. Uh, I mentioned it before. If you left trash in your house, just let it overflow in your house. You've seen some of these houses on TV where they come in and like, good Lord. Not only bugs, rats, all sorts of critters in there. When the trash is in the house, it invites in the critters. You got to get the trash out. Well, how do you get the trash out of the spiritual house? Start with number one, forgive. Jesus said, if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you refuse to forgive, the Father will not forgive you. Confession. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. Wow. You want to be healed? James 5, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous shall accomplish much. Confessing our sins one to another that you might be healed. These are the principles, foundationally, how you tie up the strongman. We've covered that before. So we're looking for open doors. If the person is unwilling, and they may not be aware. The example I used before of um, Sally, right, who had gone, she'd confessed her witchcraft behavior with her mother, who was a, a psychic, a medium, but she went to the psychic meetings with her when she was still a, ch was still a Christian, brand new. But she had never renounced the, the generational witchcraft. And it wasn't until she renounced it that she got free. So there's this place where we need to ask. So even if we don't know what those open doors are, you know that example. I've shared it. That was the one where a word of knowledge came to me and came to my partner. We coincided with this. Oh, the Holy Spirit's saying that, Sally, you've got generational witchcraft. And so we want to ask the Lord because we know on 12.8, demons are very legalistic. They become, they enter through rebellion they enter through generational sin, and they come into that host of a person, and the only way to get rid of them is to expel them and then close the doors. So when we're commencing, before we start ministry, now we're getting into the prerequisites for how the destiny model will work. One, A there, 12.8A, 
Ask the Holy Spirit to be present. He's the teacher. He's the smartest one. In fact, James 1.5 says, if you lack wisdom, ask the Lord. So we want the Lord, you know everything. We want the mind of Christ. You know every hidden thing that's going on here. And all we are is the gloves on your hands. So come, Lord, and help us. So invite the Holy Spirit. But keep in mind that this person is coming, and they're going to be transparent, and they will share things from their heart. I've had people tell me regularly, you spend on an average of five hours with a person, and you ask them to tell the most deepest, darkest hurts and wounds in their life. What a privilege. What a sacred trust. They open their hearts. I've had them tell me, I've never told another human being this thing before. I feel so vulnerable. But they got to feel love. they got to feel that you understand. You feel their pain. You're here. You're here to, to help in the process. Don't be afraid to stop. Someone starts crying and they've got an issue with a parent or a broken one. Or It's okay to be sensitive and stop and hesitate. Oftentimes, the reason I have a woman present when there's a woman being ministered to, um, oftentimes men have been abusive and fathers who have taken advantage, brokenness. Men who have lied to them, broken their hearts. They'll start to cry. And I'll ask my female partner, just come and hug on. And it's such a healing catharsis that takes place. Be sensitive. It's not about let's just get it done. No, the heart needs to be healed. It's a privilege. It's such a powerful privilege. So don't hesitate there. There's weeping. Don't hesitate to interrupt the ministry and, and, and minister at that point. Make sure you work in teams. There's, uh, there's see, pick who's going to be the lead. The other one will back them up. But the leader can decide. Oftentimes, I love my, the reason we have either an intercessor or another person present. They, they can start to see things prophetically. They'll have a revelation. Often they'll say, uh, Pastor Tom, is it all right if I share this right now? This is what I was seeing. Man, that's powerful. So, again, operating together as a team. Sometimes we'll run into a place where we don't know where to go. I've shared that in here where the model doesn't seem to be that case where um, Anna Paula was catatonic. You can't get her to confess. You can't get her to speak. It was like she's in this catatonic state, rigid as a board. I said, Lord, you, you got to help us. He downloaded that. He says, and we started speaking in tongues. And that thing, basically, the fire of God came and burned that demon out. I loved it. It was awesome. Learned a lot by that one. So when you're looking at the ministry, make sure there's an agreement who's leading, who's not. Um, look at page 12.9. Prayer ministry, the healing process, we, we're really after the transformation of their thinking and identifying the lie. To boil it down, the destiny model, this is really it, is we're after what is not true and yet is believed. What is it? was partially true or false that this person believes? And then, what's the spirit that's behind that lie? Remember, he's the liar, the chief of lies, is Satan. So his hierarchy, <clears throat> he always challenges it. He challenged Jesus' his identity. If you're the son of God, change the, the stones to bread. What do you mean if? Of course he is. <laughs> so we're after what is it, and we're going to ask them to share what they believe. So how do you get there? Tell your story. Life is filled with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we're about to ask you to focus on the really bad and the really ugly of your life. We know there's good things. And you, by the way, oftentimes they'll say, I feel bad if I've if got an issue with my father, my mother, my spouse, my brothers, sisters. 
I feel like I'm uncovering them by sharing the things. You're not. In that setting, you're not gossiping. You're sharing a wounded, broken heart. So you're not gossiping and uncovering. This is how I have processed this wound, this hurt. And we are careful not to do, we realize we've been through enough ministry and mature enough in this process to realize how you process it may not be true. I use that example of a parent's uh, method may be really poor, even though their motive is good, right? Okay, so we're after what is not true, because Proverbs 23, 7 says <clears throat> that as a person believes in their heart, so it is, even if it's not true. And we want to take every thought captive. That's the scripture you should memorize, 2 Corinthians 10, right, verse 3 through 6. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of demonic strongholds, taking every thought captive. So in the middle of page 12.9, you see that there are really two directions. Identify the lie that is believed and engage the spirit. So let's take the case. Um, a person who's been rejected, broken. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, I was doing a ministry on a woman from another church a while back. And this person had been raped when she was 16 by a boy who gave her a ride home. Dad had been really... Um, withdrawn, separate. Um, she had been involved in a Ouija board. The Ouija board had printed out a name of a man she was going to marry. When she was younger, she had the Ouija board. She meets this guy who has that name. They get married. He's a bisexual abuser. Um, she's been abused by men. And so she's telling that story and we realize, okay, she's got to forgive the rapist. She's got to forgive her father. She's got to forgive her ex-husband who ran away and left her for another man. And so she's now married to another man. He's, he's a, a quiet, more reserved kind of a guy, but their marriage is not doing well. In the midst of it, I just felt like the Holy Spirit prompted me to ask her a question, which was, what do you believe? I said, forget that I'm a pastor for a minute. I just want to know what you believe about men. She got real serious and then in a really harsh, I won't say male, but harsh, angry tone, she said, men are a bunch of filthy pigs who will tell you anything to get inside your pants. And then she collected herself and she said, I think she said, that's really not good, is it? I said, well, well it's not good, um, but you believe because, and by the way, you have met a bunch of filthy pigs in your life. Well, I'm not denying those facts. But to make that correlation that all men, there's no men of honor? Good Lord, help us. There has to be, you just haven't met a whole bunch of them. <laughs> I see, he said, well, I'll renounce that lie. So would you be willing to renounce that lie? Because right now, you're trying to get along with your husband. And it's not working. But how can he get a hold of your heart if you believe that he's going to damage it when he gets in there. So she was willing to surrender that. It was powerful. So again, look for, at what was the spirit behind that? The lie is that all men are filthy dogs and that she's going to be brokenhearted. The, the corollary to that is men will abuse me and break my heart and eventually they won't love me. They'll take advantage of me. Not denying the fact, so we had a whole bunch of people to forgive and then she had to confess her anger and resentment and bitterness. But I'm just telling you, it was a powerful session. Not a lot of drama, but that obviously was the spirit. So we're looking for the lie or the partial truth and the spirit that's behind it. And how do you get there? Tell your story. And while they're telling the story, I'll get into this probably more in detail next week. 
I always have a piece of paper, call it my engineering side of me, right? And I put over here soul ties, right? Generational things on one corner. Over here, who are all the people you need to forgive? And then what are the generational things that happen as they're going through this? Oh, yeah, my whole family line, drug addicts, divorce, abortions, miscarriages. Those are family traits that are going to be under the generational line. The rapist, the brokenhearted part, the, the, the dad who took advantage. Those are people that you put their names. You don't need to have their last name, but be specific. What are the soul ties? Well, yeah, I had relationships outside of marriage with this. Or there was a particular person had a lot of influence over me. If it's not a godly soul tie, then it's an ungodly soul tie. And we covered that in the past under curses. And so we look at this and we said, so when we look at in page 1210, we're looking for information, but then we're also have an expectation this person's going to get delivered, and then we're going to see an impartation of the Holy Spirit. And that's part of the model test. So I've listed here in 1210 scriptural stuff that humility is a part of this. Deliverance requires free will engagement, also requires salvation. Okay, page 12, 11, and 12. These are examples we've been here um, a lot. This is that Revelation 12, what's the war and what's been declared. That's that scripture 12, 12. We see here that... Um, in Ephesians 6, we've covered that one in the past, that we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? There's principalities and powers. We also know from 12.13 that both Peter and James, I've quoted this already, 1 Peter 5.8, we know that the devil seeks whom he may devour. James 4 says, draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. We've covered this many times in the last few weeks, the middle of that page, 12.13, Luke 10.17-19, that we've been given full power and authority over all. And then he says, when in 12C, in, on 12.13, see there, it says, I love in that scripture, you might want to just meditate on Matthew 12, but he says, when, the, when a demon is cast out, the kingdom of God has come. Then I got a lot of examples here just to get people biblically sounded. Uh, 12.13, 14, 15, these are all examples of deliverance ministries that Jesus did, both uh, remote as well as um, I love the one where in twelve fourteen, you know, where there was a large number of demons in the, the man of the Gadarenes, right? It says there's legions. The numbers there are somewhere between 3,000 and 6,000 demons. It's like the demons had demons, right? There's a whole, there's a whole bunch of critters going on there. And I, I love that the example here. Let me just kind of call your attention scripturally to the bottom of 12, uh, page 1214. It says the evil spirits begged Jesus again and again not to send them to a distant place. So I want you to see, we know Jesus had authority. The, de the devil knew it. They begged for the type of deliverance they could have. And I don't know if it's a, a regional spirit, a de that demonic spirit, is a, it's one from that region. They didn't want to go to a, a faraway place. They must have had authority there. So he gives them permission to go. Then they said, can we go into the pigs? If you don't think an animal can be possessed, I'm telling you, this is true here. He, this is the case where 2,000 pigs jump off. The, they're so tormented. This is where, you know, we, we, we make a joke about it. This is the first invention of deviled ham. And so we see that, and they can be possessed. I remember one time we did a, we were in a small group in a person's house. A person manifested demonically. They wanted to be set free from the torment. We did the deliverance. 
And the next day, the host of the house, their little dog, this thing is like this big, starts bleeding from the anus. Is goes, they bring the dog. They don't know what's wrong with the dog. They bring him to the vet. The vet's, they, the vet's beside themselves, doesn't know what's wrong with them. And they, they call me and say, it's crazy. But you know, last night we did the deliverance. And so I asked the question, I said, was that dog in the room when we did that deliverance? Because all the people in the room were spirit-filled powerhouses. But that little, crit, little critter was not spirit-filled, obviously. And that demon went into that dog. I said, this may sound crazy. Don't get the doctor all wound up, but you need to go back. They had the dog on an IV. They're trying to figure out what's wrong. They're doing blood work. I said, just go in and cast a demon out of that dog. Don't you know they went and did it, and that dog was restored. I'm just reporting. I know you said, Pastor, that's a little strange. I'm just, it's in the book, okay? They don't like to be uh, wandering around by themselves in a dry place. They're looking for a host. So when you think that the warlocks can't put a possession on some kind of an animal, a snake or whatever, don't be surprised. We've seen it, reports of that in Africa. Okay, so once you see, here's a remote deliverance on page 1215. The Gentile woman, right? At this point, Jesus is called to go to the house of Abraham. He hasn't been, they haven't released that, right, where Peter goes to the Jews and Paul goes to the Gentiles. But here, Jesus, the Gentile woman hears and she's got a possessed daughter. And Jesus, that whole interaction, it says that the deliverance is the children's bread. Who are the children? The children of God. The children of the covenant. So you don't do deliverance on someone who's not a believer. You're going to cause a whole lot of trouble for him. And so, but he does a remote deliverance. The interaction of the humility of the mother. Jesus says, your daughter's been set free. So you can do deliverances by remote control. <laughs> Woo wow. I don't recommend it, but there you go. Um, how about regional principalities? Turn on page 1216. We've covered this a little bit in the past. These are different than the ground-level warfare that you engage with people. But here's a principality and power discussion that in the book of Daniel, in the middle of that page 1216, Daniel 10, 12 through 13. Remember, Daniel starts praying 21 days to get the prayer answered. These are archangels. You don't think Satan has power. Guess what? There are principalities and powers of darkness in high places, and there are regional, and there are national. Here's one over Persia. This is the, the prince over, the spiritual principality over Iran. 1935, I think it's 936, they changed their name from Persia to Iran. So we see it took 21 days for the archangel to break through. Ever since Daniel started praying, the fight was on. It, it um, set in motion the battle and the archangels came he says I got to return because they got to return so there are regional principalities we know that um, Jesus in Matthew 4 there 23 traveled through the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues announcing the good news and so preaching that gospel so repeatedly we see again bottom of page 12 16 healing and deliverance go hand in hand but we want to know and you know this we don't, we're not gentle. Jesus was never gentle with demons. He commanded them, took authority over them. He was gentle oftentimes with the sick, but it's sometimes dramatic and it's forceful. So we see here, page 1217, let me clear this up. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? No, I talked a little bit, but you can look in there. The, this is the case, um, hey, I, I like the, the King James, New King James, but there are 
issues with the King James Bible. Here's one of them. Every translation, I don't care who, what translation, there's going to be a little bit of twist. It's a good translation, but here's one where they, they translated the, the Greek word diamizenai there in the middle, translated it in the King James as possessed by devils, possessed with devils. The actual interpretation is seen under the power or under the influence. You can look at that in the lexicon there. In Webster's, I've looked at it there and I translated it for you. So we see in that, that they, no, a, a Christian cannot be possessed, but certainly can be under the influence of darkness. You can feel that spirit or that present drawing or infl influencing. How about the book there by Frank Hammond, Demons and Deliverance? I had it up here a couple weeks ago. Um, the, the example of the trespasser. I like this example. I like the rat example with junk in your house that, you know, gets infested. But here's an example. You could own a piece of property and you could put up a no trespassing sign. But someone can violate that no trespassing sign, but you have the authority to go there and tell them with the full backing of the law, get off my property. That's the example here. As a blood-bought believer, the enemy can trespass. And if you open the door to the trespassing, give them access to, the, to a way to get in, then you have to exercise that and throw them off your property. Throw them out of the house. That's the example in Matthew 12. The example there, middle of page 12, 17, uh, Matthew 15, 26 through 28, Jesus refers to deliverance as the children's bread. Those that are within the covenant, these are the children of the covenant. Okay, let's, uh, the bottom of that page, 12, 17, the knowledge of who you are and what our authority is, not out, what our, what our authority is as believers is certainly everything we've been hammering regularly week to week. Some examples, you know the story of, uh, in, on page 1218, the sons of Sceva, they were doing, they were Jewish exorcists who were not believers and they attempted to do a deliverance probably on a pretty high level demon. They probably had limited success at low levels, but you know the response. The demon says to the seven sons of Sceva who are not believers, we know Paul and we know Jesus, but we don't know you and he beats the tar out of them and rips their clothes off. They come back from their deliverance there naked and bruised. Not a real good setting there for deliverance. I want you to see that the enemy's greatest weapon, the middle of that page there, is deception and intimidation. And they, they oftentimes lie and tell you things that they shouldn't. They're not true. Enemy tactics. He's always been the father of lies there, B. He is the father of lies. <clears throat> so we know that John 8, 44 said he's the father of lies. He's always been a liar. Fear is an enemy tactic. I've got to tell you, sometimes when it's intimidating, when there's a lot of demonic manifestations, I remember in Tanzania, in Moshi Town, so many uh, demonic manifestations going on, hundreds of people. Our team was working for eight solid hours, deliverance. Um, lots of intimidating things happening. You just have to keep understanding we have authority and protection here. We got that from the John Ramirez testimony that we had a few weeks back. Okay, um, let's take a look at page 1219. We are God's ambassadors, therefore we go and we do what he told us. And so I shared a little bit here on, on D there. Sometimes if there's a manifestation, we don't embarrass the person. We shut it down as our protocol. We get into a private place and then we determine several things. And I listed one through five here on page 1219. 
One, the person manifesting in public has a spirit that has been authorized to be there. I remember right here in our church a while back, there was a young man during worship. We had really spirit-filled, anointed worship. He hit the ground, started banging his head against the floor. I went over, his eyeballs were rolled back in his head. I'm going to do a deliverance in front of everybody. We shut it down, brought him into the prayer room. He wasn't even aware of what was going on. He had been involved in witchcraft in the past, had dabbled in the witchcraft, and he wanted to be set free. We set up a session, and he was set free. So, one, don't embarrass the person. One, if the person is highly tormented, probably can't get free by themselves. Um, there's a door that's been opened, and you've got to get to the root of that. We've covered that. And we want to protect the person's dignity and their privacy. But we also need to warn them. Bottom number five there, warn the person that this is not something that you just try it out, see how it's going to work. This is a complete selling out to the Lordship of Christ. Page 1220, how do demons get influence and access? Well, we've covered some of this, but here's some of the doorways generationally. I'm probably going to preach this on Sunday about the three levels of sin, iniquities, and transgressions. Um, but this generationally opens doors, and, and so both sins of omission and commission, the things you did out of stupidity, you didn't know any better, things you should have done that you didn't, or things you knew you did and you, you went and did them anyway. That's called rebellion. Trauma, a person who's traumatized. Um, I remember a young lady that had had a lot of trouble, had been a stripper, had gotten involved in a lot of immorality, got set free, got saved, came to my office. We were doing the ministry, and she curled up and became this three-year-old to four-year-old little girl under my desk, so traumatized from the sexual abuse from those in authority in her family. And then we had to ask the Lord to, and for, I remember for hours, I just, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do now. I can't reach her. She's a, she's a broken little child in the midst of spiritual authority who's here. So we just prayed, and I just remember quoting Scripture over and over again about the love of God and her identity and how God loved her. She was a daughter. I remember all that. And then suddenly, I mean, if I would go to try to put my hand on her, she would recoil because I represented the male authorities that had hurt her. And my female partner just laid on the floor under my table, under my desk with her and hugged her like a mother. And then somewhere, an hour and a half, something in the process, she got up and she sat on the chair and she said, I'm now ready to forgive my father. Whew. And we proceeded. And so there are some things where that access of generational stuff and trauma that so fractured the brokenness, just be patient. Let God work. And when you don't know what to do, just keep praying and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Places, objects, curses, we've covered that. Believe lies. Okay, so what's the principles then that are going to be in our model that are going to help a person get free? One, page 1220, truthfulness. And I listed some scriptures there. If I confess all my sins, now there's an emphasis on all, and I stop trying to hide them, if I confess my rebellion to the Lord, you forgive me and my guilt is gone. Search me, O God, right? David said in 139, see if there be anything. So truthfulness. I remember I shared in this one in the book here of a guy who managed his prayer ministry because he didn't want to share all of his mess. When we got to Brazil, he got really humbled. Humility, number two there. Be willing to just look. I tell people, if we haven't heard it, we've done it. 
we're not focused on the sin or the brokenness. We're not, we're not getting anything out. We, we just want to have you be able to confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. So humility is a big part. And it's there in James. It says, humble yourself before God. Draw close to him. He'll draw close to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee. James 5, confess your sins one to another on page 1221. So we see truthfulness, humility, repentance. There's got to be a willingness to repent. Turn from your ways. You can't go back into it. Shut the doors. Slam them shut. Put the blood on it. That's it. Close every window. Lock all the doors. Put a no vacancy sign on the door. No more. I'm not going in those places. This house is now a house of prayer. Forgiveness. We must forgive. If you refuse to forgive, you'll not be forgiven. Page 1222. Renouncing and breaking the ungodly connections. Just so much there we've covered before. Page 1223, asking the Holy Spirit for direction in the sessions. And I've got some examples in here where when you are flying by the seat of your pants and the model's not seeming to work, stop and ask the Holy Ghost, okay, what do we do now, Lord? And then don't be afraid. Bottom of page 1223, I'm not going to be polite to demons. When they start yelling, screaming, saying, I hate you, I'm going to kill you. When I come out, I'm going to, no, you're not. You're a bunch of lies. You can't touch me. And I, it's so amazing. Recently had one we were doing, and um, spirit of infirmity manifested in the midst of try to intimidate. We hadn't even gotten to the place of real forgiveness and confession had not been finished. And uh, we hadn't even started confession. We were down, going down the forgiveness list, and all of a sudden a severe pain, a spirit of infirmity attacked this person, and pretty soon we're in this place. And for the next, I'm not exaggerating, next two hours, my female prayer partner and I were dealing with my partner would speak Spanish. She's speaking in Spanish, and the demon says, I hate when you pray in Spanish. And I would say, well, the blood of Jesus has answered that. I hate the blood of Jesus. I said, good. We just kept tormenting that demon. And finally, that thing just said, I'm getting out of here. So sometimes it's, um, it's dramatic. We don't need drama. Usually the more time you spend in the area of forgiveness first and confession, less drama. We didn't learn that at first. You'll see that from here in the examples. But now do your best to stay in the forgiveness and confession cycle and you'll have a whole lot of less drama because they're unauthorized to stay. They're at that point, they've been identified. So renouncing and breaking the ungodly connections in verse, uh, page 1222. And then in 23, um, the bottom of that page, direct confrontation. Devil, you're coming out. I'm going to throw them out. There's a reason he said, in Mark 16, the bottom is Mark 16, 17. They cast out demons in my name. It, it, this is not like, you can escort them out. No, cast them out. Throw the buggers out. Get them out of here. Get out of this house. You don't have authority here. And if they don't, ask them why. Why what do you think you have authority? I have authority. She likes me. He likes me. That's a familiar spirit. Well, why? Try to get to the root of that. Page 1224. A few minutes left. We're getting there. Praise God. Um, so we're about ready in the how do you get started portion of the model. And we're, we've been doing this. Obviously, you go to prayer ministry for yourself. You deal with ministry team training. You understand the scriptures. So this is kind of how do you get started. On page 1225, as the river of God is, is rising, we know that the spirit and the anointing is also coming. And so... If you want to start this ministry, you're listening somewhere from a different country or state location, and you don't have a deliverance ministry in your church. I recently have done uh, about 
probably 25 key leaders of another church. They don't have, they have a sozo ministry. Um, and whether it's a sozo ministry or heart sink or um, uh, restoring the foundations, I like the ministry, obviously I'm partial to our ministry manual uh, model, the destiny model. Once we start, some like to do it in portions, but I think there's a danger in Matthew 12. Once the door has been opened, you want to finish and get to the root of all those things before sending them out and leaving them open maybe to torment or another door open uh, and come back with worse. So I like to start. That's why we average probably between four to five hours. The longest I've ever done, I think, was 12 hours. That was a heavy uh, manifestation of witchcraft, blood sacrifice, satanic ritual abuse. It was uh, pretty heavy duty. And so, but most of them are five hours as a root. And when we start, again, we're not in a hurry. The first, the first part of, you could spend two and a half, three hours, tell me your story. And remember, as they're telling the story, let me use the example of the woman who said she'd been raped, her husband had run away, men had, were filthy pigs. Well, what's the spirit behind that? Anger, bitterness, resentment, lies that all men. So you're, you're documenting what's the spirit that's behind those lies. And then as she forgives those individuals and confesses her sin associated with that anger and bitterness and resentment, hatred to the point at one point, which is then a murdering spirit, you wonder why people go through depression and suicidal thinking when hatred is so prevalent because of the wound. That hatred can turn into a murdering spirit, which then can turn inward and become such a depressing suicidal spirit of self-destruction. So again, the, the devil doesn't play fair here. And so we thank the Lord that um, he's going to release that revelation. And so what we'll do, we're going to start, we're right where we need to be. I'd like you to really spend some time in the destiny model. So there from page 1225 um, through, you'll see the destiny model procedures that are right after page 1228. They're actually not numbered. It says destiny model. So right after 1228, which goes through examples and, and parts of the model, the destiny model. But then we actually have, sometimes we, uh, we laminate this and we carry it with us, but these are the uh, 14 steps of the model, and they should start to make more sense to you now that you understand biblically why we do what we do in the order that we do them. And then there's the follow-up. After you finished ministry with a person, we give them a, a follow-up sheet here. There's a, there's a sample prayer there on prayer for protection of authority. And then this is the journal uh, after you get through that, there's a, there's a three-page journal that we, we email out or give to a person that has them. We want a person to spend, best would be spend at least two weeks with the Holy Spirit in advance of their ministry so that they can spend time asking the Lord, Holy Spirit, who do I need to forgive? Let me go back to childhood. Who broke my heart? What is it? It's amazing, testimonies of dreams and visions. They'll run into people or people that represent someone from their past. And God is just sharing with them. We tell them to bring their journal in. It'll get thrown away. Bring in your confession and your forgiveness journal. Don't share it with anybody. It'll get torn up at the end of the session. It's under the blood now for the glory of God. But be thorough because we're going to confess. Remember he said in James 5, if you confess one to another, 
you'll be healed. We're asking the Lord to heal the broken heart, to heal the memory, to heal the, the place where the liar has brought such turmoil and destruction. So thank you for being with us tonight. Let me pray for us. So the homework assignment is to look at the book of James, do all those chapters in James, and then look at the destiny model beginning on page um, 1225. You'll see those pages only if you very little, little reading. If you want to go all the way through to uh, finishing the protocol for prophecy, some churches, we, we have a prophetic ministry here. We love prophecy. Don't scoff at prophecy. First Thessalonians tells us, chapter 5. Uh, but test everything. But there is, there's certain protocols to prophecy. So if you're going to be part of our ministry team, you under, need to understand the prophetic ministry and the protocols associated with that. And that's the last module of our manual here. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for all those that have tuned in, those that are seeking to understand, to be skilled in warfare, to be lovers, but to be also very armed and dangerous. Lord, I thank you for all those listening under the sound of my voice. I plead the blood of Jesus now to cover them, to make your face shine upon them. Give them peace. Every place where the enemy would try to distort, distract, or confuse, or manipulate, or bring fear, we shut all that down in the name of Jesus. We stand under the Psalm 91 promise. We stand under the Deuteronomy 28 covenant promise. And we stand in the Luke's Gospel chapter 10 where we've been given full power and authority, told us in Peter to resist the devil and he would flee in, in James. Peter tells us to take a firm stand against him. So biblically, we are armed, dangerous, loved, full of power and authority, and our identity is rooted and grounded in Christ. And he told us to go, go, cast out demons in my name and lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Make disciples of all men. God, I thank you for what you're doing and raising up. I pray now a complete blessing and peace over each household represented here. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.